But as we were singing and as we look at the text today, when I think of the word holiness or holy living, there is a, uh, quite a bit of weight that goes with that word holiness. And as we were singing um, and as we read Scripture, God does tell us to be holy. And I would say that many times Christians just say, tell me how to do it. Give me the list of do's and don'ts for holy living and I will be happy for that. But we must understand that holy living is not a list of do's and don'ts because without the gospel of Jesus, the part of what he calls us to do, all this is is religious laws and commands that a person is to do and there is a missing aspect of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus. Your question and my question this morning is this. We, end, we begin and end with this. Can I live a holy life that glorifies God? That's the question I want you to ask this morning. Can I live a holy life that glorifies God? If you were Titus receiving this letter from the Apostle Paul or the other believers, you might think on the island of Crete and the descriptions of the Cretans in chapter 1, you might say, no way can Cretans live a holy life that glorifies God. But we can ask the same question today. No, Americans cannot uh, live a holy life that glorifies God. Just look around at all of life. Well, the wonderful scriptural truth this morning from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is that holy living glorifies God and brings health to the church. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes to Titus, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The Word of God. Again, the blessing that we have to open the Word, to read the words of God. And we're blessed by that. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to learn and grow and apply it in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have not been with us, Titus chapter 1 focused on Titus placing men as elders in the church who would protect the sound doctrine or the teaching of the word of God. And in every of the towns on the island of Crete, he was supposed to place men in those positions according to the qualifications in Titus chapter 1. Now, as we move into chapter 2, he says, now practice the sound doctrine. Teach the believers to practice the sound doctrine in their lives. And therefore, Paul charges Titus here to teach 
what the lifestyle of a servant of God is, what it is to live a holy lifestyle. So let us look to verses 1 through 6 and see that holy living is to be taught. Holy living is to be taught. And we must understand a few things when we read this text about what sound doctrine is, is that holy living for the believer is the result, or if you want to say the fruit, of a believer who practices sound doctrine. And when we look at sound doctrine and practicing it, we must be reminded that holy living is not something that saves you or gets you into heaven. Uh, Only faith alone in Christ alone can save anyone, but that holy living is to be the natural result or the fruit of your life as you follow Jesus Christ who has saved you through his grace uh, at the cross. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, a church that was struggling uh, to to live holy lives. He has a whole list in the first uh, letter that he writes in 1 Corinthians of all the areas that the church is living like the rest of the world. And in chapter 10, verse 31, the Apostle Paul says, So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You see, holy living glorifies God. That's why that question is important. Can I live a holy life that glorifies God is what you must examine this morning. It's the question that you must ask from the youngest child in this room to the oldest saint in this room. If you're a follower of Christ, you must ask that question. Can I live a holy life that glorifies God? Look at verse 1 of Titus chapter 2 here. Paul says to Titus, but as for you, he tells Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach the people to practice the word of God in their life as they are living day by day. He tells Titus and those elders, but also this would be an instruction to all believers that whatever we do, teach to other people as we disciple people in the word of God, that we would teach what accords with sound doctrine. He does not say, Titus, teach the people psychology. Titus, teach the people self-help things to think about. Teach them health, wealth, prosperity. Teach them that their works are going to save them instead of faith. He does not teach them any of those things because those things are not in Scripture. That's what man has come up with in what they think Scripture says. He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The word sound doctrine there, if you pay attention to that word there in verse 1, it means that which stands out to be clearly visible in Scripture. So on Sunday mornings when we gather here, when I stand here in the pulpit to preach, I preach what Scripture says. I don't bring out the latest Christian book and say, let's go through chapter 7 and then let's throw some verses in it because that's what he or she writes. No, we simply go through verse by verse Scripture by Scripture, because that is where we find sound doctrine. That's where we find what is right. And the best commentary is God's Word. I mean, it is wonderful to have commentaries and Bible study tools and all kinds of things that are out there on your phone, on your computer, in the library. But none of those things are sound doctrine. This is sound doctrine. The Word of God is sound doctrine. And yes, there are tools that help us understand it, but do not mistake that God's Word, the Bible, is His words. And that is what He says, teach the believers in the body of Christ. 
And as that is done, it brings spiritual health to the church. So look at verse 2. He addresses all of the older men in the church. And so if you're an older man, pay attention. Some of you might be saying, well, how old is older men? Because I don't count myself as an old man. Well, let's just say approximately if you would look at some of these things. If you're 60 or older, and some of you are like, 60? I'm 65. I'm not an old man yet. We'll get to the women in a minute. (laughs) Or maybe I won't even touch that one. But the older men, in the sense of the weight that it lays, it says an older man, an old man, an aged man, specifically against someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while. So you could be an older man age-wise, but maybe you're a new believer. Either way, he says older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And so you look at this list, older men, You need to pay attention. This is a description of the man who lives the holy life, a servant of God who is striving to walk in the ways of the Lord. When it says sober-minded, it's already been used in chapter 1 to be clear-minded, sober in judgment, specifically free from the control of wine or alcohol. It means dignified. It says to be honorable. Not to be prideful or to think that you're a higher class than another person. Not to be superficial or not vulgar. That's a temptation for a number of men when they get together with their friends. Especially those who maybe aren't believers or at work, wherever it be. And men can gather and they can be vulgar. And they can try to one-up one another. And in holy living for the man of God has no place for that. The man of God is to be self-controlled or your version may be sensible. Being able to control one's desires and impulses is what that means. It means having discretion or discernment, judgment from walking with God for many years. That's why there's this call of the older men to invest in the younger men and the older women to invest in the younger women, that the older men who have been walking with the Lord have wisdom that God has given them. Therefore, we should seek the older men and ask of the wisdom that God has given them as they go through the Word of God and they are continuing to share sound doctrine. It says older men are to be sound in faith, in love and steadfastness. These characteristics of the man of God who is living in walking in holiness sound in faith be free from error to have this conviction or belief in God in Jesus Christ for salvation and there's no question of God's wisdom or his power or his love and so the man of God trusts in God's grace alone for his life that he would walk in holiness and the power of the Holy Spirit to direct him in all steps of life but it also says that the older man of God must be sound in love the word there agape love this love for God love for others In the sense of loving God, but being obedient to Him. God says, if you obey me, you will love me. I mean, if you love me, you will obey me. Reverse that. But also love others. Brotherly love being shown to everyone. And lastly, it says, sound and steadfastness or perseverance to endure hardship. And I would say to you older men in the church, do not forget James chapter 1, where we were a few months ago. Verses 2 through 4. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? What does it say? It produces what? 
Steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And yes, that's for all believers, but I would challenge all of the older men in this room when it says that they are sound in steadfastness or perseverance. Some of you are facing trials now. You have faced trials. You will face trials and trouble and persecution, and you are to count it all joy. Because God allows that, according to his will, that he would strengthen you in your faith in him. Satan, on the other hand, would desire that the older men in the church would be weak, lazy, disobedient, vulgar, and angry men. Can you imagine if this congregation was filled with men that were like that? This place would be a wreck. All kinds of things would probably be taught. I would say it maybe it wouldn't even be a church in that sense. Maybe by name, by people, but again, men of God. Look to verse 2 and examine your heart. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that work in you, to make you sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. And I want you to jump down to verse 6. Because the connection here says, likewise, we'll come back to the older women in a minute. I know that you thought, great, we'll skip over that. But it says in verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be what? Self-controlled or sensible. There's a command here. It says, urge the younger men. It means to call the younger men to the side of the older men. To summon the younger men to come alongside of them as these younger men in the faith are walking with Christ. The older man in the faith comes alongside and helps direct and to share wisdom from God's word. To pray for them. To have a relationship with them. Older men in the church, this is so vitally important to the health of the church. You must be investing in the younger men of the body of Christ. That is not just the young boys in this room. Not just the high school, junior high, or the college-age young men in this room, but the young men who are married, the young men who are married and have children, the young men who are single, older men who are saints, and God, you need to, you're called to, you're urged to invest in the younger men in the faith, and specifically urge them to be self-controlled. Next week, we'll look at this more closely, but verse uh, 12 of chapter 2, it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, speaking of God's grace upon our life. So everyone's to be self-controlled, but some of you might understand and think, well, yeah, you know what? Sometimes younger men aren't the most self-controlled people. And so Paul tells Titus, not only that older men should live this way, teaching them sound doctrine, but also the younger men should be urged to live this way. And it's done through the teaching and the preaching of the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes to that disciple and says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Some of the men in this room know that when they were younger, or some of you who may be younger, know that there are times that you're not self-controlled or you weren't self-controlled and you needed someone to rebuke you. You needed someone to exhort you. You needed someone to, to encourage you with the word of God. Not just to slap you upside the head and say, quit acting like that, dummy. 
but to walk and say, what are you thinking? But to literally walk alongside of them and to help as you see young, the younger um, losing self-control in their life. Because maybe, just maybe, at times younger men can be impulsive and amb- ambitious and zealous and a little bit explosive, maybe impl- you know, impulsive with things or maybe arrogant. Um, I was reading this last week and, and kind of chuckled at this. It's in Luke chapter 9. And Jesus is with the disciples, and it's in verse 53. Uh, Jesus goes into a Samaritan village, and it says, But the people did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come out of heaven and consume them? And he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. I was laughing because I don't know how young those guys are at the time, the sons of thunder, as they, Jesus called them. But they're like, Jesus, those people reject you. Let us call down fire and just fry them. And you guys, whoa, guys, hold on. Again, as I read that, I'm like, that's a picture of younger men who are zealous for things of life but can be uh, not the most self-controlled at times. And so younger men and older men, you are to be self-controlled. And older men, look to the younger men urge them, call them to your side, and teach them the things that you are learning from the Word of God yourself. Now let's get to the older women. Verse 3. Again, I won't state an age there. Generally, though, older women are described as women who are uh, no longer able to bear children of that age. It says in verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So again, you have the older men with the younger men and now you have the older women with the younger women. Look at the list here for the older women. Reverent, describing holy living that's fitting before the Lord, of a woman who claims to be godly, that you would see her life as one who's a servant of God. It says not slanderers. The, the, na- the word there in the original language is diabolos. It means devil. Older women, you're not supposed to be devils. I'm like, what? You called me a devil? No, it says not to be a slanderer. It means prone to slander, accusing falsely. It says, don't be a malicious gossiper. This word is used 34 times in the New Testament to describe, who do you think? Diabolos? The devil, Satan. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. And as that word is used to describe Satan, it says, women, older women in the church, do not be like Satan. Do not gather for tea and coffee and say, oh, we need to pray. Did you know about what's happening in her life? Oh, her husband. Can you believe what she's having to deal with? We need to pray for her. Her husband is so ungodly. He comes home and just leaves the place a wreck and goes out for the evening. Sometimes he takes the children. Oh, and those children, we need to pray for her. That God would help her. Those children are little demons. And then, okay, let's pray. All that is is gossip. Unless that woman said, would you please pray for me in this? Or there's something that actually is a general thing from Scripture, and you pray that. But how many times, and again, we're not just going to say the older women, all believers. How many times are you a malicious gossiper, a diabolos, as it says there? Oh, we need to pray for these people. 
Don't fall into that trap. That's what Satan wants you to do. So that there would be a division among the body of Christ and there would not be holy living. So women, it says, no, not slanderers. It says, not slaves to much wine. Again, the theme with the younger and older and with the elders, not to be drunk, not to be controlled by alcohol. Or I'd say this for all believers, any substance whatsoever. In verse 3 and 4, it says, teach what is good and so train the young women. Now, here's the context. Pay attention, please, everyone, church here. The Apostle Paul is not writing about church leadership. He's not writing about pastors in a church. He's not writing about women in leadership in the church. It actually falls right in line with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. You can read that this week. We'll come to that again here soon. But Paul is stating that there was a need for relationships, just like with the older men and the younger, with the older women and the younger. And the older women who have been walking with the Lord for a while are to teach the younger women. And there's a whole list here. It says in verse 4, So train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be reviled. And for verse 5 there, some of you right away, those warning flags and explosions go, Whoa! Submissive? What do you mean by that, pastor? Working at home? What do you mean by that in today's world? And that's what happens many times when people see these things. And so let's take it down a step. Take a deep breath. See what Scripture says. You see, God has ordained from His Word the biblical standard of rules in a marriage relationship from the beginning. You read this before the fall. Before Genesis 3, this week your homework, go read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Glory in the creation of God to speak the world into existence. And look at how he creates Adam and how he creates Eve and says, here's how the relationship in your marriage is to be. Then read chapter 3. As they sin against God, as they eat the fruit, God curses Satan. He curses man, Adam, and he curses Eve, women. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when he cursed women, it says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This picture that's happened since the fall of the garden to today, until the day that Christ returns, is a battle in the marriage relationship where women want to control men. And everyone loses sight of the role between A husband and wife, Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands are to love your wives. Wives are to respect their husbands. And so this submitting word is such a dirty word in our culture. We need to take that back because it's scripture and not lay on it all of the things that the world does in culture. And so with this, sometimes men, actually many times men respond wrongly. To women who are being pushed by this world to rule over men. And so men respond by being heavy-handed dictators, by being lazy men who don't lead their homes or in their churches. And this is prevalent in the church today, worldwide. This is the reason why I've been pointing out to you and asking you to pray for the Christian Missionary Alliance, which you are a part of, because they are pushing that women should be taking the role of pastors in the church and therefore avoiding what happens here with Titus and that the women should be standing before you and preaching and teaching the men and the women and the young boys and the young girls and the young men and the young women from the Word of God. 
And so you must pray. As we are coming to a point next year as an alliance of churches where we will gather in Spokane. And this will be addressed. We must pray that we would be people that would stand strong on the word of God and not back down no matter what types of decisions are made by a denomination. And so it says uh, young women. It says older 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 women to the young women. Pay attention here. It says love your husbands and your children. This is why it's vitally important. Older women who are followers of Christ and have been followers of Christ for a while, why you need to invest in younger women in this church. Because some of the younger women in their church are so upset and so angry with the way that their young, their husbands, those young men, when they're not self-controlled and when they're not loving their wives and they are needing support and encouragement to pray for their husbands. Some of them may not have a husband at all or, and they have children and they're working uh, and, and trying to take care of the children themselves and the stress that mounts, all of these things. And they may have husbands who are not Christians, who are never there Older women, you need to come alongside of the younger women who are married. The younger women who are married and maybe have children. 1 Peter chapter 3 says in verse 1, 2, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. It does not say be a slave to your husband, women. If you think that, you've, taught, you've took, taken that in from the world. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Again, God has given the role of the husband to be a spiritual leader in the home. But some women who are followers of Christ or become followers of Christ, their husbands are not Christians. And therefore, it says, by your example, that they would see the gospel the grace of Jesus Christ on your life, that they may come to faith. But either way, you have roles which are set. And there is this relationship that is there. But there is nothing that says, women, be a slave to your husbands, as the world would tell you. And I would say this for all women who are married or plan to be married. This is not your duty in that sense. It's your ministry. Ephesians chapter 5. Read Ephesians chapter 5 this week. Husbands and wives. Also when it says here in our text, moms also must love their children. Sometimes, again, that child is so rebellious. That child doesn't even do a thing that I say. That child is not at all living and walking in holiness. It's a challenge, moms, to love your children when everything's going crazy in our home and everything's falling apart. Older women, you need to come alongside of these younger moms and walk with them in the faith and encourage them and tell them and strengthen them. Help them understand times when you struggled with your children and how the Lord brought you through with the word of God and what was the outcome of some of these things. And there are great stories of joy and there's also great stories of sadness to be able to gather together as believers and be able to grieve together as well as have joy together is so needed among the body of Christ. If all you ever do is come on a Sunday morning and sit here and listen to preaching, you're not being obedient to scripture in the sense of building relationships, discipling, being discipled, being the word together. Don't be a lone 
Lone Ranger Christian who only shows up for Sunday so that you can check your list and say, well, I'm doing right with God by attending. Make every effort to do what Scripture tells us to do here. It says to be self-controlled. This is the third time he uses this word. He's telling everyone to be self-controlled of your desires and impulses. It says teach the young women to be holy, moral purity. It means sexual purity, marital faithfulness, modesty. Last night our family drove into town and we went over to the fairgrounds to go see some of the entries that they had placed in different categories. And it was like, oh, the place was packed and the majority of women walking around had hardly anything on. And it was like, I don't know why that shocks me, but it's like, like we're like telling kids, everyone's like, cover your eyes. I'm like, if you go to the fair, actually don't go to the fair to go see. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. Some of you already been there this week, and you're like, man, my eyes have been seared this week by this. That's a picture of the world. Younger women, women in the church are being taught to be pure, holy, in modesty and Working at home. Again, this always is a, a hot spot for people. It means to be a keeper of the home and household affairs. Read Proverbs 31 this week. Proverbs 31. Now I know that there are families that dad is no longer there. And the wives, the, the moms are single moms. And they're taking care of everything financially and at home. And that is a battle and a struggle. Those single moms, church, they need you. Don't ignore them and don't just say, well, I'm going to pray for them. Women, you need to come alongside of the single moms. Men, you need to pray for them and think, do they need financial help? Honestly, this is how the church is being the church with one another. It says, be kind and submissive to their husbands. We've already gone through this. But why should young women live this way? In verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. Do you see, church, in all of this, your living and walking in holiness is seen by the world. And as they look in on your life and they know you're a Christian and they see you walking in holiness, they have nothing bad to say against the Word of God. Even though they may hate Jesus as an enemy of God, hate you as a Christian, in all reality, there's nothing that they can bring against you because of the integrity of walking in holiness. So let me ask this. Older men and older women in this church who are followers of Christ, what are you doing with your time? If you're retired, what are you doing with your retirement? Some of you have waited all these years to retire and do all kinds of amazing plans and go to the ends of the earth when the body of Christ needs you now. And the younger men and the younger women need you. And they need you to walk with them, to call, be called to their side, and to live life with them as you follow the Lord. Take them to coffee. Take them to a meal. Go have tea. Take them hunting, fishing trips. You know the list of stuff. Teach them how to sew. Whatever the list is, as you do that and invite them to, then talk about the Lord. Read, dare, re, dare you to read Scripture together. Encourage them. A number of years ago, um, myself and another pastor took 25 college students and 25 older saints in the church to Biloxi, Mississippi. 
It was a year after Hurricane Katrina. And we were there for 10 or 12 days. And the group that we took was there right along the coastline to rebuild flooded homes. I mean, just tragedy there. These 25 college students and these 25 older adults didn't know each other. And I didn't realize that until after we got there. And during that almost two-week time period, these people began to build relationships. The older men that did all this construction stuff, they were teaching other people all these things. The older women that had some skills in these areas and gardening and doing all these things, they were teaching these other younger women these things. And what happened was they built relationships. They literally had nicknames for each other. There was a guy named Bob that they all called Pops because he was the oldest in the group. And so to this day, almost, what, I don't know, 14, 15 years later, he's known as Pops. And we came back from Biloxi, Mississippi. And we had two church services. And, and the church was, uh, the, most of the younger came to the older service because they wanted to sleep in. And most of the older came to the early service because they liked to get up early. They were awake. And they, they began to meet between the services. And they would wait for one another, the younger with the older. And then they started, they're changing up services. And they were like, I wish we had one service so we were all together. And to this day, the relationships built there, built there that continued on are glorious. Bob, who they called Pops, he decided that the Lord was working in his heart and he needed to invest in the youth ministry. He said, I don't know what to do. I'm like, Bob, you know how to play chess. Yeah? Teach the boys and girls to play chess. He would show up an hour before youth group, kids would come in and they start playing chess. He's like, I don't know what to teach him. I don't know what to say. He, he didn't even know how to really read it all. But he began to love these kids. And he would listen to the youth pastor and leader, whatever they went. He just served them. And to all the kids now, he was pops. Some who never had a grandparent that they knew. Do you see, church, the impact on a life, on another believer that God's calling you to invest in? Younger men and women, younger children in this room, boys and girls, what older believers are you seeking out and asking them to spend time with you? And if you're one of the older believers, you'll know most of the younger will never come up and ask you to spend time with them because there may be a fear there. There may be some intimidation there. And so pray today that God would direct you in this. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. I don't think we'll get through everything here today. Verse 7 and 8, the second point is this. Holy living puts your adversaries to shame. It says in verse 7, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. If you're a Christian and you don't know this, you have enemies, you have adversaries, you have people that actually hate you. Your number one enemy is Satan. The demons, they hate Christ and they hate you. And so they're going to do anything and everything they can to come after you. The world, filled with people who do not have faith in Christ, they hate Jesus like you did before you became a Christian. And therefore, anything of Christ that you do, they're going to hate. And he tells Titus and all the believers here, he calls them out and says, teach and model, model and teach. Be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, it says there in verse 7 and 8. Keep those things in line with sound doctrine and scripture. And I wrote down this question. Why are Titus and all the Christians supposed to be living a holy lifestyle by living out by what one teaches? 
Well, verse 8 is that answer. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. <clears throat> Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 19 through 21. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and those words to those disciples then would be to you who are disciples and followers of Jesus Christ now. And if you look at verse, John chapter 15, look at verse 18 through 21. It said, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Paul's goal in writing to the Cretan, to Titus and the Christians is not that the Cretans, as described in chapter 1, these worldly people would think well of Christians. He writes so that if Christians live in a way of holy living that glorifies Christ, there would be no valid charges that we brought against him. He doesn't say, as Jesus says, that persecution won't be there. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You will be persecuted in your lifetime as a follower of Jesus Christ because you follow him. A number of years ago, I served in a hospital for six or eight months. And after I was hired, the guys that I um, was working with, they knew I was a Christian, um, and you had to fill out a card when you would go do a project, a work. So I had a work order, you, lead, you write down the time on the work order, go over to whatever floor of the hospital, figure it out, assess it, oh, I don't have a part with me, go back, go get it, go and fix it, maybe sometimes there's a few parts you got to go get. When you get done with the job and you get back to the office, you sign off that you ended the time card. I just started doing that did what my boss told me to do. Within less than a week, I had guys who were ticked at me, who hated me. They wanted me to lie because I'm like, it only took 18 minutes to fix that flush valve. And they're like, no, that's a two-hour project. I'm like, what? And I didn't get it that they were stealing from the boss. And the boss was like, wait, Paul, come in here. And he went to our church. He's like, you, 18 minutes? I'm like, well, Yeah. Show me. I'm like, all right. So I grabbed the thing. I saw the work order. It needed, so I walked. We go over to the room. I'm like, he's like, just change it. Even though you did it. I'm like, all right. Changed it. Replaced it. Walked back. Whatever. I think it was like 17 minutes or something. One less minute than I would put before. The next day in our meeting with everyone, he chews everyone out. And everyone hates me. And then they began to pressure me, like, you need to put more time on that. And what I realized was these guys would, would put two hours on a project, then they literally would go hide out in a closet room, and then one day I saw these guys going in the room, and I'm like, what are those guys doing? So I snuck up behind them and put my key, and I could hear them talking, and I opened up this electric room, and they fell over and knocked their soda all over. They were just, they had chairs in there. It was like this lounge that was hidden. But the temptation was, they were always wanting me to lie. And it was one of those things on my last day, it was fascinating because over time, those guys stopped accusing me, stopped coming after me. 
On the last day, we're all gathered there, and I had some, we had some, I don't know what we were eating, whatever, and uh, they were like, you know what? You're actually a real Christian. I was like, oh, not perfect at all. They're like, you're a real Christian. Later on after that, one of them said, hey, would you, I started back in ministry again, said, hey, would you do a memorial service for uh, my cousin? No believers there. A couple of the men started coming to church occasionally. What they began to attack me with at the beginning was silence just by following what God would have us do. Think about your workplaces, your homes, your schools. Think about your neighbors. If they see holy living in your life. Some of those people that you struggle so much with, they may be silenced just by seeing Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 9 and 10. We'll hit this and be done here. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So instead of slaves here or bond servants, let's talk about employees and employers. Let's talk about children and their teachers. Uh, This picture of this relationship with someone who is over you and someone who is under you, but this picture then at that time and culturally the slaves that they have, it says that you are to be submissive in everything unless instructed to go against sound doctrine, unless you're instructed to go against the word of God you are to be submissive to those in authority over you, we have been studying 1 Peter over the past few months on Sunday nights and tonight we'll go into 2 Peter and three times it tells the church to be submissive in different areas well this is one of those calls again it says to be well pleasing is your, in, your boss pleased with your work? Is your teacher pleased with your work, students? It says not argumentative. Are you grumbling, complaining, arguing about your boss, your teacher, your manager behind their back to other people? It says not pilfering. Are you stealing anything from the boss or from the business? It's the same word used in Acts chapter 5 to talk about Ananias and Sapphira and they gave some money and they said to the apostles, oh, here it is. And it says, hey, you lied to God, the Holy Spirit, and they dropped dead at the two different times they did it. Same word here. Don't pilfer. Don't steal from those who are over you. Don't cheat on your tests, kids. Showing all good faith. Are you faithful to the Lord in all of your actions? And why are we to live this way? Verse 10 so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Romans chapter 6 has a glorious passage here because as you talked about slaves here, it made me think about this. The person who is not in Christ is a slave to sin. And the person who is in Christ is a slave to righteousness. And it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 18, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
Christian in this room, you once were a slave to sin, but praise the Lord, you're now a slave to righteousness. Some of you still don't like that word. You don't. A servant of God, a slave of God, because we don't want to be controlled. But praise be the Lord, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and makes us holy and causes us to walk in his ways. Because if you do it on your own, you won't accomplish it. Because again, the question this morning is, can you live a holy life that glorifies God? No. You cannot live a holy life that glorifies God. You're like, what? That's good news, church. You're like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Because Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen to this, church. It's underlined, for it is God who works in you. Did you catch that? It's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And if you're not convinced, Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I was sure there'd be an amen. Are you not convinced, church? that what God has started. I mean, think for just a moment what we read in Romans there. You were a slave to sin, following the desires of your heart, only wickedness, following after being a child of Satan. And God, by his grace, sends his son Jesus Christ, who is God, to be born man, fully God, fully man, to live a perfect, sinless life. To go to the cross where he was nailed there, where he bled, he shed his blood. And as he hung on the cross, he bore the sins of his people. And God the Father poured out his wrath on the Son that's meant for every one of us. And Christ's blood that was shed is what he used to purchase his people from their sins to not only cleanse them from sin, but to forgive them of sin, to remove their sin, to give them his righteousness through faith in him so that you would be a slave to righteousness, a person who stands before the Lord holy, and he says, be holy as I am holy. It is possible, church, only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ rose on the third day from death to life, he's ascended to heaven, he's ruling and reigning, and he's one day going to return one time, and we will see him in all of his glory, and the saints will be with him forever in this inheritance, which is Jesus Christ, in this glorified state for all eternity, and all who reject Christ as Lord and Savior, all who die in their sins and wickedness, will spend all of their eternity in hell forever and ever and ever. And if you just think about that for a moment, it makes you shudder to think that many will be in hell because they are not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. As the worship team comes forward, let us pray. Father, there's uh, so much in this text today, and maybe we took two too big a bite this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would take 
the passages, the verses, the words, and lay them upon our hearts. Father, I pray for the older men, saints in this room who have been walking with you. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen them, encourage them throughout our hardships in their life, that you would put on their heart, even, in, even today, this morning, younger men in this church who need to be called to the side to build a relationship with, to encourage them to be self-controlled, to read the word of God with them, to pray with them, to send them a text and say, I'm praying for you today. Father, I pray for the young men in this room. I pray for the young boys in this room, the, the, the children. I pray that these boys and these junior high and high school and college age and these young single men and these young men who are uh, new husbands and fathers, I pray that you would help them to be self-controlled and they would walk in holiness. Holy Spirit, do that work. Father, I pray for all the older women, the saints in this room who have been walking with you. Lord, encourage them, strengthen them, and show them the women and the younger women, the younger girls here that are in need of an older woman in the faith to come alongside of them and to encourage them in their marriages, in their uh, relationships with their children, the, the ones that aren't even married yet, that there would be these wonderful, glorious relationships that are built. And I pray for all the younger women and all the young girls here in this church that they would desire to seek out the older women in this church who have been walking with you. Father, would you do a work that only you can do here at Discovery Alliance Church in the relationships of the body of Christ. Father, would you help us and protect us from just being Christians who show up and never build relationships with others. Would you burn the need for, uh, for other relationships with believers into our hearts this morning. And Father, for all who've come into this place who are far off, who today have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray today would be the day of salvation. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would change their heart, soften their heart, take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, give them the eyes to see that they would believe, Jesus, that you are God and that you have died for your people and that you've risen again and we long for your return. Father, may you be glorified as we sing and as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.